0: testimony is so powerful this morning. He was Jesus's little brother that had grown up with the Messiah, and at one point in his life, his entire life, his entire perspective. Not knowing where to go or what to do or where to even find wisdom. You tell us that you'll give us wisdom and we really don't understand how to access that. And we pray that over the next few months you would help us do that. You would help us to know and you would help us to act on what we know that you teach to us. We come to this mighty book that you have preserved throughout the centuries. So that it could sit here in our hands, in our lap, on our pulpit this morning. So that we might hear you speak. And we believe wholeheartedly, God, our Heavenly Father, that it's through your word you speak to your children today. And we ask that you would do that. And that you would make us receptive in whatever way possible. That we might not only hear your word, not only understand your word, but enjoy your word. We need your Spirit's help and guidance. We ask this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. Who is James? Who is James? We're dealing with one verse this morning. This is not as slow as it's going to go, but it's going to take a lot of Bible to get us to the point where we really know who is writing this letter to us. We're going to work on a memory verse this morning. Everybody ready for that? This is our memory verse for the next couple months. It is going to be so deeply ingrained into your memory, it's going to be the first thing that comes to mind when people say, what did you read in the Bible today? James 2, 26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. You know, Martin Luther did not want James included into the canon of Scripture. Why? Because he said that this... One little tiny book here undermined all of his theology. It undermined it all. It's amazing. He looks at the entire canon of Scripture and he says, yeah, James undermines a lot of what Paul says, so it should not be here. We all need to understand what a blessing this letter is to have before us today. There is no letter in the New Testament canon that has underwent more scrutiny to sit in your lap this morning. None. None. The fact that the Bible survived all of these years, and then when it finally got to the, fact, the point in time when we were like, let's find out which scriptures are scripture and collect these up, that James made it, is a huge blessing from God. He wants this here, he wants us to understand what is here, and that's exactly what we're aiming at this morning. So, today's sermon is focused mostly on answering the question before us, who is James? But let me start with another question, one that is probably more on everyone's mind. Does it matter? Do you really care who wrote it? Do we really? When we pick up the Bible and we look through these different verses, do we really care about the author in this letter? Do we really care who it is? Do we have any reason to really know what is behind This pen, what is behind this paper? Do we really have any reason to know what's here? Do we care about who wrote the letter? How many here have had siblings? All right. See? You already have something in common with James. Of those siblings, how many of you are not the oldest? Brother or sister, put your hand up if you're not the oldest and look around. All right, very good. So, James was Jesus' little brother. Everybody know that? The guy that wrote this letter was Jesus' little brother. Think about that for a moment. So when we say, who is James? First and foremost, he was the brother of our Lord. Matthew 13 specifically names him in this way. He specifically names him in this way. When Jesus had finished these parables... He went away from there, and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where did this man get all these things? So first and foremost, James is... Jesus' little brother. See how everybody already has something in common with James? A lot of people do. So let me ask you this. Very, very important. James was not only Jesus' brother. James was Jesus' half-brother, we know, because while Mary bore both of them, Joseph was the father of James, but not the true father of of jesus why is that because jesus was conceived of the say it holy spirit so jesus has a different dad than james they're half brothers nevertheless they grew up like many of us did in a house with little means and siblings so another question those of you with older siblings how many of you would struggle to call your older sibling god yeah, that's good. Probably some people are thinking in their, in their heads and in their hearts, is Satan an option? <laughs> no, it's not. James was not a believer during Jesus' public ministry. So it's not like Jesus stands up and says, I'm God, and James is like, I knew that. From our childhood, I, I knew that. No, John 7, 5 tells us that not even his brothers believed in him. That's John 7, 5 is the reference. Not even his brothers believed him. So you see how we can relate to James in another way. Uh, Not only do we have siblings, some of us are the oldest, some of us are the youngest, we would struggle to call our siblings God, as James did also. He didn't believe him. He didn't believe what he had to say. As a matter of fact, not only did he not believe him, his family thought that Jesus was crazy mark 3 21 and when his family heard it they went out to seize him for they were saying he's out of his mind he's having problems now he cannot hold himself together they wanted to go out they wanted to collect him and they wanted to put our lord aside because they did not believe him jesus's family thought he was nuts They wanted to take him home, help him gather his wits about him, get him collected up together again. Do you know why James' testimony is so powerful this morning in 2018 to us at Christian Life Church? Because he wasn't an apostle, nor was he a believer. He was Jesus' little brother that had grown up with the Messiah, and at one point in his life, his entire life, his entire perspective changed. This ought to be a great encouragement to each one of us. Because he knew Jesus before his public ministry, did not believe Jesus during his public ministry. It was only after seeing something that totally changed his life. What was that thing that he witnessed? He witnessed the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. He laid eyes on the man, his brother, whom he saw crucified. Paul gives testimony of this, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, whose name is also Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, Most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Same James we're talking about here, his brother. Then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. James laid eyes on the resurrected Jesus Christ. So vitally important. It's an important connection because it's later, it's later in the story that James is going to join the worshipers. So as difficult as it would be for some of us to call our brother God, how difficult would it be once we realized it was truth to worship him as God? Again, I told you there's lots of scripture here. We've got to build up the storyline. Acts 1, 13-14. and When they had entered... They went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, Judas the son of James, all of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So James is there among the devoted followers At this point in Acts. What's amazing about James. An absolutely amazing little story behind this book. This same James that grew up with our Lord Jesus Christ. In the same household with other siblings. Saw everything of his entire life. If anyone had testimony of the faults of their brother. It would have been a brother. Amen. Would have been a sibling. I know you. I know what you've done. James will go on to testify to Jesus' life. The book that you have in front of us, James is going to go on to be the first New Testament writer. As far as we know accurately, this is the first book ever composed of the New Testament. First one. It was written before 49 A.D. It's the closest piece of literature we have to the end of Christ's earthly ministry to the end of his public ministry. Not only will he compose the first letter, he will go on to be a great church leader in the midst of a great persecution. So, I need to backtrack just for a second. Alright, so we go to Acts chapter 1. A little bit earlier. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? See, the apostles had something on their mind. Jesus promised... That he would be a king and he would have a kingdom. So now that he's back from the dead, what are they hoping for? That the king will take reign in his kingdom. So when they come together, they ask him about it. Why would you not ask him about it? They are sick and tired of Rome's foot being on their throat. They want them out. They want the kingdom finally restored to Israel. So what do they say? Lord, when will it happen now? He said to them, this has to be the biggest bummer in the world, isn't it? All these exciting things are happening in front of your eyes. Finally, you're like, Rome's gone. You're here. When's it going to happen? And what's Jesus' answer? Wait. How many of you are like me, and those are like your least favorite four letters composed into a word? Wait. I hate waiting. I hate waiting. I'm so impatient. Sometimes, even when I'm reading a book, I'll flip to the end to find out what happens so I know whether or not I want to finish reading it hate waiting. If you're with me, give me an amen. amen. Alright, good. i got some people with me. We hate to wait. What's Jesus say? Jesus says wait. It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Interestingly enough, this is a verse that you have to have writ down, written down somewhere so that you can refer back to it. Acts 1.8 is going to serve as an outline for the book of Acts. Where does the ministry begin? Jerusalem. Where does it spread to? Judea, excuse me, Judea. And then to Samaria. And then all the way to the ends of the earth. We know that's true because you're sitting here this morning. Amen? You're sitting here this morning because this is going to the ends of the earth. It serves as an outline. It will grow exponentially in Jerusalem. Understand, the church will grow exponentially in Jerusalem. Some sermons, 3,000 people will hear and believe and be saved and added to the number of the church. Because the Spirit was upon them and it was powerful. So the question is, why would you ever want to leave a place like that? Ask yourself that question. If the church here in Waverly, was growing exponentially, why would you ever want to leave? Why would they want to leave? If the next thing that we're going to speak of didn't happen, the church would still have stayed in Jerusalem. However, God knows better, and God allows certain things to happen in your life and mine, and even in the life of the apostles. Kings answer whether they believe or not to the king of kings. Amen? Amen? Nothing is outside of his control. But chapter 7, x, the key event that's going to happen, that's going to cause the next stage in the spread of the gospel. A man named Stephen, who we're told is full of the Spirit. He was one of the first deacons, as some people recognize it. He was one of these that were set over charge of people's personal affairs. So as being full of the Holy Spirit, he could address these certain issues and help people through them. Blesses us with people like that still today. It's a very, very important ministry. Stephen stands up and testifies and in answer to his testimony, he is killed. He's stoned to death. Very important point. And Saul approved of his execution. They pick up stones, and they begin to throw them at this man until he is dead. This is one of the most violent deaths that you can die. It goes on to say, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. So what's going to make us move out of Waverly? Probably persecution will help, amen? And they were all scattered throughout the region, Judea and Samaria. Amazing! Because what did Acts 1-8 say? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. Acts 8-1, flip it around, says what? What does it say? It says, against the church in Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. God buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. James is going to go on during the midst of of this chaos. During the midst of men being murdered for what they believe. Being hauled off and put into prison. James is going to go on to become one of the pillars of the church. According to Paul's testimony... James, in the book of Galatians you're going to read, is going to go on to be one of the ones that is brought in and uh, questioned about whether or not certain things were allowed, certain things weren't. When you look ahead in the book of James and the things that are going to happen, we see how they are directly tied and connected to the other books within the Scriptures. We see how it's directly connected to Galatians, how it's directly connected to some of Paul's Other writings like 1 Corinthians. James is going to come and approve of Paul's ministry. In Galatians we read about that. He's also going to send men back to check in on the scattered church. As we see in Galatians. James is the one who sends the men out who cause hypocrisy for Peter. James is going to go on from being the doubtful little brother to an outspoken leader. In an extremely dangerous time. That's so vitally important, an extremely dangerous time. As we move through the book of Acts, we see him continue to minister even when there is mass persecution, resulting in many of the deaths of many of the people whom he knows and loves. People who are in equal position to James in the church as leaders are going to go on to be cut up with swords, crucified. Burned alive. Boiled alive. Exiled to an island to die there. And that's after being boiled. We see in Acts 12, one of the other Jameses is killed by another King Herod. Just an example of executing church leaders. So this morning we look just at verse 1. I pray that this morning... Everybody has at least some idea of who James is, what James wanted to do. James introduces himself to us this morning. See, in our letters, when we write a letter, we say, dear so-and-so, yada, 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 and then at the end of the letter, we say, from, or love, my name. It's not the way that they did it in Greco-Roman culture. You begin by telling people who you are, and then you say what you have to say. James, servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Notice he has two titles for himself. Two. His first title is James. It's his name. His name is James. We already know that. We've established that. Let's move on to title number two a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our English translations fail us on this sentence. Now, I'm not saying that they don't connotate the same that the original language wanted to get across. They just soften it quite a bit. And it's because of times that we've been through, so we're afraid to use particular phrases. The word that is used here is doulas. Some of your... Uh, Translations say bondservant. Some of them say servant. Uh, It's a word choice. The original Greek is doulos, and it simply means slave. The word doulos translated often as servant means something more than just a serve. And that's really the point we need to get out of this. It's not simply someone that serves someone else. It's something much deeper. So is it someone that serves someone else? Yes, but it's more than that. And that's the point that I want to make this morning. The term servant is softer than the original word. Some translations choose servant, bond, servant. We get the same idea through the word choice. You can. The original Greek word is doulos. Doulos. Say that with me, everyone. Doulos. means slave. It literally means that your will has been set aside and you live for the will of another. Your will has been set aside, and you live for the will of another. The life of a doulos was completely given over to the service of their master. When James uses this term, it is not soft. I'm reading this because I want to get it right. When James uses this term, it isn't soft. Understand that when James calls himself a slave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, saying more than he serves them out of convenience. Because for most of us today, we serve God when it's convenient for us, and we don't when it's not. Amen? It's the way that it is. James is not a doulos out of convenience. Everyone consider James' circumstances for just one moment. He's living in a time when his friends are being executed, some in front of him. Some of the men that James will baptize will not make it to the city limits without being cut up by a sword. James has no idea whether the next steps that enter into his house in the middle of the night when he goes to sleep are going to be to carry him off and execute him as well. Who knows if the next friend he sends out with a letter will make it to the city limits. So why does he do it? Because his will is not his own. He lives to do the will of the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a doulos. A doulos not serving sinful man. He's a doulos serving a holy God and his resurrected son, Jesus Christ. The reason this is so unpopular is, uh, and it's untaught today is because people don't want to deal with, with the word because our society wants individualism. Because we are taught to be who we want to be and be the you 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 can be and then you'll finally find true happiness. Facebook, Snapchat. You're welcome to go reinvent yourself in these platforms as long as your truth does not infringe upon someone else's truth. And that's not biblical. You are who you are. God made you the way he made you for a purpose. For purpose. So, James is going to teach us how to live as a doula. That's what this whole book is about. As someone... Who has surrendered their will to God and is living out their life according to His will and not their own. The best way to understand what James is saying here is someone who has set aside their life. The things that they desire. The glory that they desire from man. They've set all that aside so that God will get all the glory. They've set their entire will aside. They've set their entire lives aside. Why? So they can focus completely on God's will being done in their life. How many times have we prayed the Lord's Prayer without truly meaning that? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want my life to represent your will and not my own. So what's James going to do with the rest of the letter? He's going to teach us how to live as a doulas. He's going to teach us how to do it. As someone who has surrendered their will to God and is living out their life according to his and not their own. He's not only going to teach us how to do it, but listen to this. This is good for all of us, particularly me. He's going to do it practically. James is going to go on to teach us practically how to live this life out. So it's not just these obscure, lean in this way and do this and do this and then you will be able... No, no, no. James is going to say, this is the way you need to live life. He's going to give more illustrations than any other New Testament teacher other than Jesus. He's going to give us word pictures so that we can better understand exactly the life that the doulos is to live. You say, why practically? Because as this letter goes out, who does it go out to? To the 12 tribes in the dispersion. We've got we to gotta grasp this. Everyone, we have to grasp this this morning. He's sending this letter out to people who are being terrorized every single day. He's sending this letter out to those who were cast out of Jerusalem, who were scared and scattered out of Jerusalem because of the mass persecution that's happening. James comes to us with a very, very timely letter. Those Jewish Christians have been scattered because of the persecution in Acts 1 8 and onward throughout the letter, and he's giving them practical steps how to live out of life as a do-loss when it could cost you your life. James is going to go on to give us 54 imperatives. He will not find that anywhere else in any other letter. 54 do's. Do this. Do this. Do this. James is a strange book of the New Testament because he's only going to mention Jesus' name Twice. That's it. Twice. And you've seen one. So we have 50% of Jesus' name in the book of James left to go. He's going to show us how to live out the life of a doulos as a visible, productive life of faith in a fallen world. So I ask everyone, just answer this quietly in your own hearts. Who honestly is in control of your life? Honestly. Who honestly is in control of your life? Because all of us want to say Christ. I know we do. It's on the tip of our tongues, especially because we're here in church and we're singing Christian songs, and we know that's what we should say. How many decisions have we made this week that contradict that confession, though? We want to be a servant of Jesus Christ. We want to serve Him. We want His will to be our will. We want to be able to live for the things He's called us to do. But how is that honestly going? You know why this is such a wonderful letter? Because James is not a hypocrite. And I love that about him. Because one of the things that we all hate in life is hypocrisy. We hate when someone tells us the generic, as good as name brand, and it's not. Amen? We've got to face it, some things are just not as good as the original. We hate hypocrisy. James is not a hypocrite at all. He calls us to do nothing that he is not willing to do himself. The circumstances that James is going through when he writes this letter are so profound, none of us are going through what James is going through at this time. Which means it should be easier for us Because God has given us a special measure of grace where we are not being hounded. Our life is not on the line tomorrow as we head out into the marketplace. God has given us a special measure of grace. A special blessing and protection. And James does not have that. He calls us to do nothing for Christ that he is unwilling to do himself. He calls himself doulos and... It is only in the truth of that identity that he has the right to call us to these things. Holy Spirit, speaking through the pen of James to us, this is the voice of God. This is a man who is on trial every day of his life, and it is only because he is true and not a hypocrite that he has the right to write these things to us. He calls himself Dulas, and it's it's only in the truth of that identity that he has the right to call us to do the same. That is where we're going to be for the next long while, is learning how to do this, and learning how to do it well. Will everyone bow their heads and pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, our conscience is at times seared by the sin that we cling to. We know that it's easy for us to sing songs and say, You are God and you are in control. It's a lot more difficult in our day to day lives to live that out practically. We retain a lot of control for ourselves. And our will has become a very, very precious thing to us. Like a jewel that we want to protect. We don't want people to be able to tell us what to do. At times, we don't want you to tell us what to do. Because we have life figured out, and and Lord, we are sorry. We live where the gospel of self is preached to us constantly. And so often, we buy into it. We need you to reveal to us, to each one of us individually, we declare as a congregation, but ask individually that you would reveal to us the parts of our life where we have kept control for ourselves. Where we're willing to allow you to be our God, church, and possibly even in our career, but not our finances. Where we've allowed you to be God and in control of our motherhood or fatherhood, but not our our relationships with spouses or friends. Our decisions do not reflect the truth that you have true control and reign over these parts of our lives and we need you to reveal it to us. Lord, we ask this. We've reserved authority for ourselves. We want to surrender. We want to be bold in our faith. And we ask above all things that you would give us strength by your Spirit not only to lay... Aside, the things that do not bring you honor, the things that we focus on bringing us honor, and to focus truly on you and all you've called us to, as difficult as that can be, Father, we truly ask this morning you would search us. You'd help us to know who we are in you. And we trust you for this. In Jesus' name,